Let us pray. Father, we're here this morning mindful that your ways are not our ways. And your thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. But Father, you have come down and you have touched us with the touch of love seen in the face of your Son. You've lowered yourself as Jesus emptied himself so that we could hear. So that the bread of life could be given and we could live. So Father, we ask that through the preaching of your word, that you would come with power. You say that we're to call on you while you are near and you can be found. We're calling. We're saying come and speak. You say that your word will not return void, empty. But it will accomplish your purposes and that gives us hope. It gives this broken sinner whose knees are knocking joy and courage and hope. So Father, speak so we can hear. We pray this in your Son's powerful name. Amen. Apparently, we didn't have enough faith. Apparently, we didn't have enough faith. Words of a retired cop named Dale, his wife, Lilani, talking about a tragic event that took place in their life this last week. These words, apparently, we did not have enough faith, was recorded by a law enforcement officer who was investigating the case, the case of the death of their daughter, Madeline, an 11-year-old girl, one of four children who passed away this week. They call her by her middle name, Kara. They said that she died of being a diabetic, ketoacidosis, or something close to that pronunciation. The sad thing is, it's treatable. Treatable. Quite common. Over the last several weeks, their daughter got sick. Really sick. I mean, not maybe too unusual for you parents to see your child get sick. She got nauseous. Vomited. Her thirst, unbelievable. Couldn't quench that thirst. And then lethargic. The Newmans are a believing family. They say this. They say, we believe in God. And we believe that healing comes from God. And so as their daughter was sick, they called on God. They called on others to call on God. They quoted scripture, scripture like Matthew 8, 9, 18, 19 that says, when two or more of us gather in his name and we agree that the Lord will answer our prayers. They prayed that prayer. They called elders of the church, other churches, and say, pray for our daughter. They quoted 1 Peter 2.24 
that looks to what Isaiah said would happen, that Jesus has come, that he would bear in his own body our sins, unbelievably, that Jesus would be pierced for our transgressions. And then it says, God's holy and errant word says this, and through his wounds, we will be healed. They prayed that prayer in faith. And she died. What happened? This morning's text, we're going to look to Mark chapter 5, and it's a continuation of a a series I started before Easter, and it's called The King Who Heals Sometimes. And I don't expect you to remember last week, let alone three weeks ago, but we basically a few weeks ago looked at this series saying, did God promise too much and deliver too little? Because according to God's word... It says that there will be one king who will come. His name is Jesus. And this king will heal us from all of our diseases. This king is so incredibly great, better than any politician we can vote into office. This king is not only going to heal us from our diseases, diseases, this king was supposed to forgive all of our sins. And yet, look around. Okay, Jesus, you came, and we're still dying. Kara's gone. Her parents had faith. We're going to look to Mark chapter 5, and it's a story in Mark 5 about a woman who was healed from 12 years of suffering, from bleeding. And interestingly, it's wedged in a story about a little girl who was raised to life, who's Kara's age. 12 years old. And we want to ask the question, listen, let's, let, let's take this question and, let's, and let's, let's don't run away from it. And let's don't shy away and let's don't give some really easy theological answers. Let, let's look deeply into this question and say, why did God heal these two we're going to talk about and why not care? What was wrong with their faith? What was wrong with God at the time? What leads God to be a God who heals sometimes? What do we do with it? Some difficult things for us to wrestle with, but God does want to tell us why. This will be a a sermon that we're going to continue next week. Uh, And after that, we're going to launch into a similar, a God who suffers, a God who comforts, a God of all glory. So here's what you're going to want to do. You want to come back and come back and bring your Bibles and invite your friends because this is really important stuff. I guarantee our world wants to know the answers. Why? Throw me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. Mark 5, again, I was going to start off with verse 25 this morning. I'm going to enlarge that to start off in verse 21. I've also expanded what I was going to read so it picks up this story of this little girl. Very similar story to Kara's story. For those of you who uh, want more, Matthew, in Matthew 9, verses 18 through 26, tell this story, and you can pick up a few extra details. Also, Luke records this story in Luke chapter 8, verses 41 through 55. It was important enough to our holy God that this story should be in Scripture three times. Each one of the synoptic gospel writers, inspired by the Holy Spirit, gave us this story. Let us be mindful 
that as I read and you follow along in your Bibles where, with the words on the screen, that we're reading God's holy word without error, never leading us astray. Let us read together. Mark 5, verse 21. But when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, and by the way, he just had healed a woman uh, possessed with a, a legion, or a man possessed full, a legion full of demons. And now he's crossing over, and a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, probably very similar to the way that Dale Newman pleaded with Jesus in the last few weeks. He pleaded earnestly with him, saying, My daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So this unbelievably loving, benevolent God, Jesus, went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman who was there, who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her blood stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, Who touched me? I love uh, the fact that Luke tells us who that disciple was. Anybody want to guess? Peter. Love him. First to think, last, first to speak, last to think oftentimes. Come on, Jesus, you never had a hard time with people touching me before. We're on to an important deal here. Jairus is a synagogue leader. His daughter is dying, and you're wondering who touched you? And actually, it also says in the other gospel writers, it is, it's unbelievable, it says they were crushing him. Picture the crowd. I mean, this was, this was a crowd that was really pressing upon him. Who wasn't touching Jesus? And yet he knew. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, and he said to her, he said to this nameless one, daughter, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, 
Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put, out, put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was and ever so gently and tenderly like only Jesus can. He took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up immediately. The girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old, Kara's age. And this time, they were commanded, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Let us pray. Father, these stories make us feel really, really good because you came into contact with those who were sick and dying and dead and brought life. Kara is gone. So we need to understand. We need to understand what we can hold on to and what we can stand upon. We want Christ, the solid rock, to be underneath us. We want the joy that comes from the fact that loved ones are healed and raised from the dead. And the story has a great ending. What about Kara's story? What's the great ending? Father, I do know that I, I, I'm not smart enough. I don't have the words to, to speak for you, but you can speak through me. So please do so. Father, give us ears to hear. Give us minds to understand. Give us hearts to embrace. Give us feet to walk in the truth. Father, the things that are merely my opinion or that are wrong, forgive me. And may it quickly fall away and be forgotten. But, but Jesus, the things that are true, use those things to give us answers. Give us hope. Give us life. Give us meaning. Give us purpose. So that we can live with hope and respond with joy. We pray in Christ's powerful name. Amen. I want us to see a few pictures in this text. It's an incredible text. And really what God does for us is he paints for us. He paints through his word incredible, vivid pictures of life. And if we're perceiving these pictures, really what we start to see in these pictures of Scripture is that we're there. I mean, not really there, but so much of their condition is our condition. So much of their story is our condition our stories. And, you know, I know that there's a lot of time and space that separate us from God's word at times, but let us press in and let us ask the Holy Spirit to really come speak to our lives because we need to see our picture in this story, Kara's picture in this story, and understand what this means for each and every one of us. But the first picture we have to see is this picture of desperation. You have Jarius who is at his wit's end. The synagogue leader who knew God, who gave his life to God, and yet his daughter was dying. Can you imagine the desperation? That one healer, Jesus, I got to go find. Because this Jesus can heal. 
Then you have this picture of desperation of a woman who bled for 12 years. Look again at verses 25 and 26. And a woman who had been there had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Talk about desperation. Listen, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. And had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. It's hard to picture a more desperate situation. She did everything she knew what to do. Every doctor in town she knew uh, she went to see. Every resource that she had, she has spent to say, let me get better. And instead of getting better, the opposite happened. She grew worse. This is a picture of desperation. I know a story of a a mom, a mom who had one daughter, and as daughters do at a certain age, uh, she began her monthly cycle, uh, but this daughter didn't stop, and her bleeding didn't continue for 12 years, but it continued for six months, and like any mom uh, who loves their daughter and concerned and of the stigma that this young girl is going through and the confusion and the pain, she went from doctor to doctor to doctor and it only grew worse until finally the prescription was given to go to the hospital, go see a radiologist and have a radium treatment. Yes, you will be infertile. Yes, you will never have children, but maybe you'll stop bleeding. So they got to the radiologist's office, and the young girl was placed on the table. The radiologist said, you know, I have a daughter this age, Kara's age. I I wouldn't do this to my daughter. Tell me again, who have you gone to see? Which doctors? Just list them for me. So she, the mom starts listing this doctor, that doctor, this doctor, that doctor. Stop. Go back to see him. I think he can help her. So she went back, and this doctor did. Her bleeding stopped. And she tried to live a normal life, not never knowing, can I ever have kids? But God blessed. She did. She had three. I'm the youngest. This story means a lot to me. And it's a picture of desperation that I can relate to. And it's a desperation this woman had. And and I don't think that we understand the desperation in our day and age until we put ourselves in her shoes. Listen, this woman was an outcast. This woman lived in a society that, that, that labeled her unclean. They looked at her as if something was wrong with her. But it's worse. They didn't want to touch her. They didn't want to be around her. I mean, she only already spent all she had. I mean, she's only growing worse, but she's living in a society that doesn't want anything to do with her because somehow they believe she's cursed. Feel the loneliness. Think of the pain. Listen to what Leviticus says. This is the Old Testament law uh, given to God's people. Um, And in telling them about certain conditions of living, and I'm going to read Leviticus 15, some verses in there, and I'll try my best. It's it's, it's kind of, uh, this, this is raw. But this is what it says in Leviticus 15, 20. 
for a woman who is bleeding. Anything she lies on during her period will be unclean. And anything she sits on will be unclean. So everywhere this woman went, everything she touched and sat on, unclean. Anyone who touches her bed will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean until evening. Anyone who touches anything she sits on will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean until evening. Whether it's a bed or anything she has sat on, anyone who touches it will be unclean until evening. When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time, other than her monthly period, or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge, just as in the days of her period. Twelve years. Any bed she lays on while her discharge continues will be unclean, as in her bed during her monthly period. And anything she sits on will be unclean during her period. Listen to this, verse 27, we'll come back to this. Anyone who touches them will be unclean, and her. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they'll be unclean until evening. Talk about desperation. Talk about being an outcast. Twelve years. You see, the truth is this. Each and every one of us has a disease that only Jesus can cure. Each and every one of us has an unclean flow that only Jesus can stop and cleanse. Every single man, woman, child ever born since the fall needs the touch and healing of Jesus. Every single one of us is declared in God's eyes, apart from Him, unclean. Listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, 6. All of us, every single one of us, all of us become like one who is unclean. All of us become like this woman. And all of our righteous acts, the good things that we do, are like filthy rags. And literally, it's, it's a very similar thought. We are all shriveled up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sin sweeps us away. Here's the first point. Picture of desperation. Apart from Jesus, you can spend everything you have. You can spend everything you have to try to have health. Try to have meaning. Try to have joy. You can spend everything you have to try to find purpose for life outside of Christ. You will never, ever find it. The only way we're going to have this life, the only way we're going to have this healing is to come in contact with Jesus. It's the only way. And every one of us has it. And the only way we'll be cured is coming in contact with him. How is it with you? Have you had a personal contact with Jesus? Have you come and touched his garments by faith? The first picture is a picture of desperation. The second picture is a picture of faith seen in verses 27 and 28. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd, certainly stealth, she didn't want to be noticed. She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. We see a picture of faith. She had heard about Jesus, and we hear through Scripture, Paul tells us in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes through hearing. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Here's what she says. 
really interesting. I heard about this Jesus. Nothing else works. But the faith. If I could get to Jesus, if I could just touch, just touch the edge of his cloak. You know what it says? I'll be saved. I mean, that's the Greek. I'll be saved. I'll be healed. Just get me with Jesus. I got the faith. I'll be clean. I'll be set free. I'll be cleansed. I'll be whole. Just get me to Jesus. And literally, I will be saved. And this is where we got to really lean in and understand and ask the question, does our faith heal us? Does our faith heal us? What was wrong with Leilani and Dale's faith? Does our faith heal us? Listen, our faith doesn't heal us. Jesus heals us. Did you hear that? Our faith doesn't heal us. Jesus heals us. Our faith does not heal us. Jesus heals us. Our faith is the conduit. Our faith is the linkage to Jesus. It's by God's grace that he even gives us the faith to Jesus. It's God's grace and that faith links us to the one who heals. But listen, our faith doesn't heal us. Jesus does. Every year in the summertime in my hometown, they had a little rinky-dink stupid carnival that would come through town. And for some reason, everybody wanted to go. And I remember the summer, the, the rite of passage of a summer, where I had the ability, I had the power, I had the strength to go to that one thing I always wanted to conquer and take that mallet-looking hammer thing and have the right strength and technique. I would slam it right down and there would that weighted thing would go up and ring the bell and I'd get a useless prize. But I could do it. I knew it. I, mean, after a while, I, I, I could do it. I, I can walk in there and grab that thing and take all the anger that's all bound up in my life and swing for the fences and ding! But you, some of you all wish you could do it. I bet I could still do it. Some of us, certainly Dale and Leilani, thought that faith was like that game. That if they just had faith that was strong enough, if they just believed in enough power, if they could just come to God with all this faith and they could just take their life and say, I believe! And ding, I ring the prize. And my faith is going to make God respond like a puppet. That now I have faith and he's got to bless me. That's not true. It's just not true. You know 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 what's pathetic about it? It puts us in the space of God. It makes God basically powerless, waiting for our faith to be good enough to ring a bell for him to respond to us. It's wrong. It smells like smoke. It's in the pit of hell. It's God's grace. Jesus heals. Faith is that conduit. But if you're sitting there living your life saying, why does my husband still have cancer? Why is my marriage still crumbling? Why are my kids still straying? It's because I don't have, I haven't rung the bell of faith. 
There's a mystery that none of us can completely unpack. Why God chooses to wait sometimes. And we're going to look at that more next week. But I don't want you to live your life for one minute. One minute. Believing it's up to you for your faith for God to respond. That's bull. That's just taking God and making him something he's not. He is so loving and he's so gracious. And yet this is an incredible picture of faith. And we can only have, we'll only see God with faith that he gives to us. But we can't live our lives as if we're God and it's our faith that's going to move him. I wish I was more eloquent from that. I really do. I wish I, wish I had words. But who is in control? God is. Let me tell you, he promises to heal every single one of us who come to him in faith. And he will heal us the moment we come to him, the moment we touch him. He will heal us from the disease of our sin. He will give us a brand new nature. He will take our past and he'll say, done away with, new creation. I'll never leave you nor forsake us. He will heal us the moment we touch his cloak. But it doesn't mean he's going to heal us from all of our physical infirmities immediately. It doesn't. And it doesn't mean that he'll do it in this lifetime. And it doesn't mean that we got to line our prayers up right and line our lives up right and give more money and do something to the genie God that will somehow respond. He promises a day is coming, no more tears, no more trials. But he was a man of sorrows. He suffered while he was here. And so will we. You get the picture of the gospel in verse 29. Incredible, incredible picture. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Get this picture. It's an incredible picture. Here's a picture of a woman who, who's foul. Here's a picture of a woman who's unclean. Here's a picture of a woman who is desperate. Here's a woman who has been an outcast, who's got no hope and nothing. And she comes into the contact with the one who is holy, with the one who is pure, with the one who is sinless. This is the gospel. It's you and me. It's what we come to Jesus with, with nothing on our own but filthy rags. And this is what we do. We touch him. By faith, we touch him. And guess what happens? He becomes defiled. He becomes unclean. The holy God of the universe becomes defiled and unclean. Why? So that we can become righteous and beautiful and right. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God took him who knew no sin. Who is that? It's Jesus. God took him who knew no sin, who was holy, who was spotless, to become our sin. So that in him we could become the righteousness of Christ, of God in Christ. Listen, this is, this is the gospel. This is us. It's every single one of us who ever by faith, by God's grace, has come to Jesus. We come with all of our baggage, all of our junk, and we embrace him. And he doesn't say, clean yourself up, then come embrace me. He just says, come and just touch me. Embrace me by faith. And all of your broken, sorrow, sinful self, I absorb in my body. And all of the beauty of my righteousness that the Father delights in, I give to you. I give it to you. It's the gospel. And it's true for every single one of us, whoever by God's grace and faith have touched Jesus. We're that woman. We're the unclean one. And I tell you what, it should make us want to dance a little bit. 
It should make us want to just like, like seriously jump up and down and say, Hallelujah, that was me. That's me. It's the gospel. Then you have this picture of the confession in verses 30 through 33. At once Jesus realized the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? <laughs> Peter, you see the people crowd against you? His disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But listen to this confession. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came. First time she came, no one noticed. This time she came, every eye on her. I mean, this procession to go heal this little girl had stopped. And now... She can't hide. So she came and she fell at his feet, trembling with fear. And she told him everything. The whole truth. I don't know what the whole truth is. I don't know what she had to say. But here's a confession that she's going to come to Jesus and confess. You see, Romans 10.9 says this, if we believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord and, and confess with our mouth that God raised him from the dead. <laughs> Listen to this. It's unbelievable. This is that's what the gospel says. It says, if we believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, and she did, and now we confess with our mouth that, that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Each one of us has to realize this. We're saved to tell his story. I mean, one of the things we could easily see in this, a point we can't miss is, listen, he doesn't want us to evaporate back in the crowd. If, if, if you've pictured yourself, if you've understood the gospel, you're the unclean one that just got cleaned up and righteous and beautiful. If you understand that, Jesus doesn't want you to rob his glory and just stay uh, somehow anonymous, somehow like unknown. Yeah, Jesus changed my life, but I don't want anybody to know about it. They might think I'm a wacko. They might think that there's something wrong with me. And so I'm just going to kind of play it close to the vest with my Christianity. Don't. Tell the whole truth. Tell what Jesus has done for you. Don't rob his glory. I love the fact, listen, here's here's the beauty of this. Christians, you know what the really incredible news is? We don't have to be afraid of the truth. We don't have to be afraid anymore. I mean, we don't have to be afraid of the truth. Now, listen, we got to get this. This will change our lives, the way we live our lives. We don't have to be afraid any longer that people will find out about us. We don't have to worry any longer that the skeletons are caused that are going to come out and they're going to beat us into submission. We don't have to be afraid anymore of the whole truth. Why? Because he knows the whole truth. Ready for this? And he loves us anyway. And he knows the whole truth and he's taken all that's broken and he's nailed it to the cross. And he's given us his grace and his righteousness and his love. And now we can say, yeah, you know what? I was an alcoholic. I was an adulterer. I was a murderer. I, I, I was into things you wouldn't believe. But I've been set free. I'm a new creation. And that, that, that there's no more condemnation in Christ Jesus. None. And the truth doesn't haunt me anymore. Guess what it's done? It's set me free. Has it set you free? I mean, has it set you free? If it set you free, tell your story. I mean, that's a story the world needs to hear. You don't have to gloss it over at all. You can tell them the truth. It's more powerful telling them the truth. 
Let the world know I was an unclean one. I spent all that I had on trying to find life apart from Jesus. But you know what? I touched him and I'm free. I don't have to hide. The truth won't haunt us. It sets us free. You know, you hear this story and say, why, Jesus, did you make her come in front of all that crowd? I mean, did you want to embarrass her? I mean, aren't you, I mean, can't we like have a little private confession or something like that? Why? I think a big part of it is this. The world needed to know that she was cleansed. The most gracious, listen, 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 listen. The most gracious thing Jesus could do is let the world know that one's healed. She's healed. Don't, don't, don't be afraid to touch her. Don't be afraid to let her in. Don't be afraid to love her. You see, the love of Jesus is so incredible that he wants to restore her not only to himself, but to the community. That's God. That's love. I'm going to restore you. And listen, we want to say, well, why, why would Jesus do that? Why would he, like, make her feel so vulnerable, so much humility or humiliation? Jesus couldn't heal her. Listen. Jesus couldn't heal her apart from a cross. This is the one that's going to hang naked for her. This is the one who's going to experience public shame like no one else. This is the one who's going to become her sin on a cross. Come and confess and tell me the whole truth. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to set you free. Talk about a picture of a confession. And lastly, we have this picture of salvation, verse 34. If you heard nothing else, you've got to hear verse 34. He said to her, woman, he said to her, outcast. He said to her, never got her name, didn't matter. He said to her, daughter. Did you hear it? You hear what he said to her? Daughter. 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 Your faith in me has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. The nameless woman who's been an outcast now has been adopted into the family. Now the creator of the universe, the lover and maker of her soul is going to say to her, daughter. Have you ever heard that? Have you, have you heard the joy of daughter, son? I mean, have you heard it by faith in Christ? Do you know the joy that God's not angry with you? That Jesus really has paid your sins. Do you know the joy of hearing the Father say, that is my Son in whom I am well pleased. The title of all titles, Son, Daughter, has been given to her. That's a picture of salvation. An outcast, not just cleaned up, not just changed, but an outcast brought into the family and loved. He says, your affliction is no more. And the, the word affliction is your scourging, that which has been whipping you, that which has been beating you, that which has been defining you, 
that which has been robbing your life, that which has separated you from a community and from a God is no more. That affliction is gone. Go in peace. Peace with God and peace with each other. Is it a picture of you? Is it a picture of me? This week was hard hearing the reports of Carol. I mean, it really was hard. It just, there were times I got so angry. There's times I got so sympathetic. I thought, these poor parents, they got to now live life with the absolute sadness and the tragedy of losing a daughter. But it's more than that. They have to live life with the guilt that their prayers weren't good enough and their faith wasn't strong enough. I said, what a way to live. It's wrong. And I think that clearly uh, God has the ability, all, all healing comes from him. But we've got to be careful to say, therefore, we don't use those around us. I mean, those that God has given gifts to as doctors. He uses them. When we left Maundy Thursday, we had that anointing with oil with elders, and we prayed for many of you, and I loved it. And that's a biblical prescription for healing. And God uses that. But he uses prescriptions and doctors in emergency rooms. And listen, we're not robbing his glory when we use what he's given us. It's like the story of uh, coming out of Katrina in New Orleans. A family was there and their house was being threatened. And a neighbor came by with a big old southern SUV, or I mean, I mean a pickup truck. You can probably picture it. Came along, said, and they were all gathered on the roof, said, hey, you better get out. The water's coming. No, no, we're, we're okay. God's going to take care of us. Several hours go by, and another unbelievable family came down in a, row, uh, in a canoe, said, hey, there's a little bit of room for you. You better get in. They better get in right now because the water's coming even higher. He said, no, no, God's going to take care of us. So they got to the tip of the top of the roof, and unbelievably, a helicopter came by, said, this is it, the last call. You better get in. No, 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 God's going to take care of us. They drowned. They get to heaven and say, what happened, Lord? I mean, we, we had faith. He said, I sent a four-by-four, four, a canoe, and a helicopter. What more do you want? And we've got to look at this story and say, God, what have you sent me to be healed and place my trust and love in you? And I, I look around this room, I see very many faces that are in the medical profession, and you're ambassadors of Christ. Healing doesn't come from your hands. It comes from his. But he raises you up. And thank you. Thank you for serving. Our hope isn't in you. Our hope is in him. But please, please, Orangewood, don't, don't live your life thinking that, that your faith is like that game where if you have it good and strong enough, it's going to ring a bell and God's going to respond. Just look to Jesus for healing. He will heal us immediately of our, our disease of sin. And sometimes he'll heal us immediately of our, of our afflictions here on earth. And sometimes... He won't. We're going to hear more about that in the upcoming weeks. But continue to look to him. And if you see your face in this picture, have joy. Have joy that God has set us free. I'm cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.
for a son who came to seek and to save the lost. I thank you that he's found them all. I thank you that Kara, Jesus, is in your arms. And she's heard you say, daughter. Father, we pray for Dale and Leilani. I can't imagine the hell they're going through. The weight of thinking that somehow either they, their faith let them down or you let them down. God, I pray that the hope of a resurrected Savior and the truth of your grace penetrates deep, deep into their brokenness. I couldn't live with myself if I felt like that was caused by the lack of faith in me. Jesus, I thank you that it's, it's, it's not about my, my faith. It's about the work that you have done for me. It's your grace. It's your blood. It's your righteousness. It's the cross. It's the empty tomb. Thank you for giving us the faith to even believe and being set free. Continue to heal us, I pray, in Christ's powerful name. Amen. As you, leave from here, as you leave here, let me ask you three questions as you go. Have you had a personal encounter with Jesus like that woman? If not, we have some elders here after the service that would love to pray with you and tell you more about what that really means. Second question is, are you trying to remain anonymous in the crowd? Shine for Jesus. Don't be afraid of the truth. And thirdly, can you leave here freed from your suffering? If not, give us the privilege of praying for you. Again, come forward. The elders will be here. If you're visiting and you don't have a church home, you want to sign up for our Discovering Orangewood class, we would love, it would be our honor to have you there. On the way out, there'll be a table, and you can sign up for next week. Receive now this benediction. Really, what this is out of Jude, it's going to be an inscription. We're going to say, God... You receive this because we're going to give you glory. So if you'd like to, if you're here, usually you may want to be here. It says this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to the one who will present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. And go in His peace.